Welcome to the Speaking of Phenomenal podcast. I'm your host, Amy Boyle, internationally published photographer and entrepreneur. For the last two years, I've shined a light on weekly stories through the 52 Phenomenal Women Project, a social platform and community celebrating women for what makes them phenomenal right now. Spoiler alert, we don't raise our hands often enough to celebrate our unique qualities that make us all who we are. Yes, you guessed it, phenomenal. What I know for sure is sharing of our empowering stories must continue, and that is why I created the Speaking of Phenomenal podcast. Sharing the mic weekly with phenomenal women all over the world while we embrace what right now makes each of us phenomenal and therefore uplifting each other when we need it the most. Thank you for joining our community. I am so glad you're here. Speaking of phenomenal, you know who is? You are. Welcome, Hillary, to the Speaking of Phenomenal podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you, Amy, for having me. I'm delighted to be here. We've known each other for a very long time, so I feel like we're sort of coming full circle here from being school parents to uh, now being on a podcast together. Absolutely. Yep, we're going on well over 15 years, and it's um, it's an amazing journey because we've had a lot of things to share. But today in particular, the topic we're going to go over together is so near and dear to my heart and your heart and many, many other people's in our stages of life. And I would love it if you give our audience a quick background into the phenomenal you, and then we'll get into the topics at hand. I'm Hillary Ebach, co-founder of Carolel, which I'll tell you a little bit more about in a minute. Uh, former practicing attorney turned entrepreneur, so made a career pivot in my in my mid-50s. I'm a lifelong Chicagoan, wife to the wonderful Matt, and mother to uh, my two 20-something kids, the amazing Spencer and Grace. Tell me a little bit more about Carolel in general and what that is. So at Carolel, we strengthen and empower caregivers so that they feel supported, confident, and capable as they care for the people they love. And we do this through a combination of personalized guidance from real live caregiving experts and digital tools, what we call a touch and a tech approach. So essentially, we provide comprehensive support for caregivers. And it's really designed to help people with the entire range of issues, questions, and challenges that they they face when caring for a loved one. And we work with uh, health insurance companies who offer our caregiver support as a benefit to their members. We work with innovative employers who offer caregiver support as an employee benefit. And then we also serve as a national family caregiver help desk for the Caregiver Action Network, which is the largest nonprofit serving caregivers nationally. So with all of that, we talk to thousands of caregivers across the country and essentially just try to help them in the ups and downs of their caregiving journeys. It's so needed um, as someone myself now who has lost a parent and has an aging parent you just don't know where to begin in a lot of cases. So it sounds like necessity was the mother invention for you, perhaps. Maybe you want to give me a little background into how how you got started in this. Where did the idea come from for you? Um, sure. 
It was really born out of my experience as a caregiver for my elderly parents, along with my brother and my two sisters. So back in 2015, my parents were in their late 80s, living nearby in Chicago. My mom was in the early stages of dementia, although frankly, I don't think we fully appreciated what was going on at the time. My father was very active, mentally very sharp and engaged with the world. And it was really because of him that they were able to live independently. They were super organized and very open, I would say, in their approach to aging in the sense that they told us where all the estate planning documents were and what our each of our roles were. My dad shared with us research he had done on senior living communities, if that had you know ever were to become um, a necessity. We even talked about things like, did they want to be buried versus cremated? So it was really an, an open dialogue about those issues. And I guess because of that, we felt like, hey, we got this down, you know, we're in good shape, no problem. And then in February of 2015, my father had a catastrophic stroke and about six weeks later passed away. The day he had that stroke, we immediately became caregivers for both my mom and my dad. And uh, so like many others, we were thrown into the process of being caregivers in the context of a medical crisis. And that set off a a journey that um, even though both parents have now passed, um, you know, we're, we're still on. And in the immediate aftermath of my father's stroke, we sort of were confronted with the first set of issues, which is, you know, how to be a good patient advocate when a loved one is in the ICU, way harder than you would think. And in hindsight, there's so many things that we should have known or could have done better, but you do the best you can in that situation. We also had to immediately find places for uh, uh, where my dad could go because he was going to need skilled nursing for the rest of, of his life. Uh, and then we also had to immediately find some sort of solution for my mom who couldn't be at home on her own. Ultimately, we got a, an in-home companion for her. So that was sort of the immediate experience. But then over time, after my father passed, we walked that down that long path with my mom into um, dementia. And that involved uh, ultimately finding her a memory care community, selling the condo, all that good stuff. And, and again, just really accompanying her on that, on that journey. Our stories are, are very similar in the sense of 2015 yeah. is when my father had his stroke as well. And it was one of those things that because the bigger plan, I mean, he and my mom still talked about a lot of things, but he did the bulk of the planning. And then all of a sudden we're faced with now, what do we do? You know, and, and same thing, the patient advocate side of things. I don't think people understand that unless you've had to do that for your child before, like what, to what level. And it's, it's intimidating and you're emotional and there's all these things going on in your world. So that was your experience. Then how did you go? I'm going to turn my needs into a service. I had like, 
copious notebooks. And I found one recently from um, the rehab facility that my father was at too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, some of this, you, you need a translator because if you're not familiar, it's a lot. <laughs> it's it's, a lot. It is a whole lot. And even if you feel like you, you understand things, there's so much that we didn't know. And before I answer the question you, you just asked me, I'll just share that uh, such a poignant and, and sort of painful memory for me is in the day or two following my father's stroke, he was in the ICU and we were told, oh, the doctor's going to come around for a family meeting. Well, they never tell you when the family meeting is, when the doctor's going to show up. You're sort of at the mercy for whenever the doctor shows up. And at one point, uh, my my, I think it was my sister and I were at, at the foot of my dad's bed and the doctor came in. We didn't realize that, the, oh, this is the family meeting. And he just started talking about my father's prognosis in front of my father, who was fully, fully conscious, although the stroke had um, damaged him terribly physically, he was largely cognitively intact. And the doctor started talking about how he was going to be um, sort of lying in bed, not very physically functional for the rest of his life. And in hindsight, it enrages me to think that we had that conversation right in front of him. He understood it all. He heard it all. So I wish I would have had the presence of mind to say, let's go out in the hallway and have this conversation. At the time, you just don't, you just I just didn't know. So in any event, you asked me um, sort of what, what took that experience into starting a business. So from a personal standpoint, I was in a career transition during the years when I was knee deep in caring for my parents. I had practiced law for many years, first in private practice, then as an in-house general counsel. And in 2016, my company was sold, which meant that I was merged out of my general counsel position. And that presented a golden opportunity, frankly, to take a break from work, do some travel, and then figure out what I was going to do when I grew up again. And the obvious thing was to go back into either private practice or find another in-house position. And as I said, during this time, I was knee deep in, in caregiving and working really closely with my brother and my two sisters. My brother happens to be a career venture capitalist in the healthcare world. As we were going through the caregiving experience, he recognized that there was a business opportunity because we all were experiencing the fact that caregiving was way harder than it needed to be. And in talking to friends you know, like, like you, you know, who were similarly positioned, as well as people who were caring for not just elderly parents, but for you know, seriously ill spouses or children with special needs, it was just very clear that we were not alone. There were millions of people just like us. And uh, we just felt like if we could simplify the process of caregiving, that people would be interested in that. One day he said, hey, will you just do some whiteboarding with me? Let's just throw some ideas on the wall and, and see, you know, what, what's the problem? How might we solve it? 
who would who would be interested in it? At first, I felt like my role was really just to channel my father for my brother, because our father had always been a real, I mean, both my parents, but especially my father had just been a cheerleader and champion for all of us, whatever we were interested in. And I felt like, okay, I'm going to play that role for my bro- for my brother. Pretty quickly, though, it became clear that we were we were on to something, which meant that I had an opportunity to change course in my career and pursue something entrepreneurial. Yeah, I had spent my career supporting entrepreneurs and counseling entrepreneurs and. Now I had a chance to be one. I was in my mid-50s. I felt like the more interesting thing to do was to work on Carolel, in part because, in large part, because it was sort of the perfect combination of doing something about which I felt really passionate. It would feels very mission-oriented, um, and at the same time was just a great business opportunity. So I know it's sort of cliche, but... It was an opportunity to um, do well and do good at, at the same time. So I decided to to go for it. And like you said, it it had to be the perfect timing, right? You know, a lot of people go, "Oh, I'm I'm the pragmatic person. I'm not that creative." I'm like, we're all super creative, and especially when we need to be, and when opportunity just is literally like knocking on the door, going, "Come on, now you need to answer," because here we are. <laughs> and I'm um, so glad that you did that, and that you're uh, you were more than the cheerleader for your brother. That you also joined <laughs> on with your own skills as well. So speaking of those skills, so. In your role now and as designing the company, um, how how has your past life really like formed it? Or how does that feel to you? Well, I would say starting a business, your job is to do lots of jobs. That has really been my experience. I wear a lot of hats and that is something that I really enjoy it's part of what I loved about being a general counsel because when you're in-house general counsel, you're involved in everything, not just all the legal issues, but as a member of the senior management team, you get to see everything going on in the company, be involved in the strategy, the financial aspects, the investor relations, all different sorts of aspects of the business. And that's always been appealing to me. So I would say uh, I, I, I wear many hats that has changed over time as we have grown and built out the team. My role has has changed, but we're still uh, we're still at a stage and probably will be for for quite a while where um, I'm just doing a lot of things. The legal side is part of it, but it's a it's a small it's a small part of it. Tell me a little bit more. I know we can open up any news app or newspaper these days and see numbers that are overwhelming. What is the percentage of the elderly in particular population? How many people are in need of education so that we know how to do this? Well, there are millions of caregivers and that number is growing in part because of our aging population. Uh, Caregiving 
cuts across all generations, racial, ethnic groups, income levels, family types. And um, I would say society really very heavily depends on the unpaid, largely unseen work that caregivers do. Um, In terms of sort of who they are and what their numbers are, as of last year, pre-pandemic, the the latest number was that there were 53 million people acting as unpaid caregivers for a family member or another loved one. And those people come in all shapes and sizes. They're maybe caring for aging parents, for uh, a, a chronically or seriously ill spouse, adult children, adult siblings, neighbors, friends. Things have changed a lot over the last year because of COVID. And uh, it's recently been estimated that over 60% of Americans now identify as caregivers, meaning that they're worrying about taking care of or um, just looking out for a family member, friend, um, or neighbor. And that's an important point because you know, historically, caregivers really haven't self-identified. I didn't really think of myself as a caregiver. I, I just thought that I was doing what I needed to do for my parents. Um, and that means that they don't really often deal with, deal with issues sort of proactively. You're just dealing with issues as they come up. You're just trying to be a good person for your loved one and help take care of them. And caregivers often don't really think to reach out for help. A couple more sort of demographics, as you might expect, the majority of caregivers are women. It's about a 60-40 split between women and men. And generationally, the largest group is sort of the 45 to 64 age range, which is, it's people like you and me, Amy, like we talk of ourselves talk about ourselves like the, we're the sandwich generation, right? Where we still have responsibility of caring for kids in some ways, and then also for parents. So that's the biggest group. But what's surprising to many people is that 25% of caregivers are millennials. So there's an awful lot of young people caring for a loved one. It really, it, it cuts across age, income level, uh, everything. So there's a lot of people out there in caregiving roles and they are largely largely unsupported and and almost invisible. You think about it like when a crisis happens if all of a sudden you're thrust into this role you stop what you were doing that must leave a humongous ripple effect because again like you said if it's mostly women mostly maybe even mothers and then sandwich generation Where in the world do you find your own personal support so that you have the good mindset to get through your own day so that you can be the best of all, all the, all the cups you're pouring from, right? (laughs) Well, I bet there are millions, millions of people in the same boat and um, actually have it even worse. I mean, I was very lucky for a whole bunch of reasons, but one is that I have three wonderful siblings and we all happen to really like each other and get along with one another. And we all lived in the same city as our our parents. So we had a lot of advantages um, and, 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 and even so it was still, still difficult. Uh, but you're right, you, you're right. There's, 
there's a, a, a toll that caregiving can, can take. And by the way, I don't, I don't want to be so negative about it. Caregiving, there are tremendous benefits to being a caregiver. I mean, it's a truly a labor of love, truly, and an opportunity to just give back to whoever it is you love, who you're caring for. Uh, in, in my case, especially in the case of my mom, because we had this more elongated experience with her dementia, it, it really was like a, a, an experience with the circle of life, I would say, in a very immediate, beautiful way. I mean, towards the end of her life, just time spent holding her hand, hanging out, uh, was very meaningful. And uh, just an opportunity to connect more deeply with my siblings. We'd always gotten along, but I would say we've spent more time with one another, gotten to know each other better than would have been the case had we not been, you know, sharing this caregiving experience. So I do want to make sure to say that caregiving is not all negative. It's really, uh, no, no. it's very challenging, but, but there's a lot of upsides to it, to it as well. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt, I think back to even in the most um, stressful situations. It, there was a teacher that our kids both had when they were in um, middle school. And, and Donna would say, you don't have to, you get to. And it's just something I think about daily in any of these big life things. It's like, okay, what an opportunity. Um, how much impact is it really making? But, but the mere fact that you got to, and you had those minutes and those hours, and sometimes many, many, many hours. But and if you can share that with siblings, I mean, with in the case of when my mom um, had COVID earlier this year, my sister was in New Mexico, and I was in Chicago, and my mom was in the burbs, and she was on lockdown. Now you're trying yeah. to navigate that, and that was still relatively close, right? But just trying to come up with the right kind of dashboard who can do what and and all these sort of things but at least because of the relationship the two of us could jump on FaceTime and talk to her and see what was going on and know that everything was good but it's it's one of those things that it is a blessing because every day that you have is another day that you have <laughs> without sounding silly um and there's and there's a lot to learn about ourselves in this process there's way more positives than the negatives. How do you think COVID has really played a role this year with everybody being apart? How can one can we all support each other better? COVID has exacerbated many challenges that have always gone along with caregiver and caregiving, and it's also created new challenges for many um, caregivers. It, that experience can be isolating both for themselves and for the person they're caring for, right? Because maybe maybe it's an aging parent, but also maybe someone who is seriously ill. It's it's difficult to it can be difficult to engage engage with the world, and of course, COVID has made that uh, even even more difficult, like exponentially increased that challenge, and. Um, you know, there have been just some brand new challenges like 
literally not being able to be with your loved one if they're in a senior living community, not knowing do you should the the in-home care professional come into the home? Is that safe? How do we keep our loved ones safe? How do we create new routines? Um, One example I can think of is a caregiver who called, uh, she was caring for a a husband with dementia. And uh, when he got agitated, which is not uncommon with dementia patients, sort of her go-to solution to divert him from that anxiety or agitation would be to go out for ice cream. Well, they couldn't go out for ice cream because of COVID. And so it's the challenge of talking through that and coming up with new solutions and new ways to um, sort of manage that situation that, that has been required. So, and now of course, there's all sorts of questions about vaccinations and um, uh, the, the most immediate question, one that we've been taking hundreds of questions around um, whether family caregivers have priority status for vaccination. And unfortunately, like many caregiving scenarios, that is, it's, the answer is complicated. It depends upon the state. And those are just some of, some of the challenges associated with COVID. I think what you have seen over the last year is the complexity, the sort of variety of caregiving challenges, the stress of it has just contributed even more so to caregiver burnout Um, in some instances, sort of compromised decision-making and health declines in the caregivers themselves. You can see that just in how we're all having to deal with isolation and then complicating it with these big life decisions, not only for ourselves, but for the person we're taking care of. And if you're, again, without having that in person to see one another, to get the real-time feedback from the physicians and every other person that comes into play. I mean, it, it took like an act of Congress to get my mom in t- for dental surgery because it was like, you know, <laughs> because I'm like, okay, are you clear? Who can go? Like, it was just like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, you take for granted the fact that I can just go to the dentist. Well, not in COVID times and certainly not as a post-COVID 85-year-old patient. It makes it really challenging. And yeah. you're like, wow, that was, that was exhausting. That was just the dentist. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's hard to believe all the things that people do. Um, there's a lot of possibility in all of this. So what other things can be solved and how can, how can we today as an individual do something? It's a great question. Um, first and foremost I think it's important that we all as a society acknowledge and honor and ultimately place value on the work that that caregivers do. Um, Given the the aging population, the exacerbation of of COVID um, as a community, we really need to provide resources and support and we need to simplify processes for caregivers. Um, And that is just going to require innovation with health plans, with employers, with the government, and with ourselves, frankly. So as an example, um, you know, in the workplace, caregivers really need to be supported. Uh, There's um, 
downsides to uh, absenteeism, presenteeism, people dropping out of the workforce because of their caregiving responsibilities, uh, turning down promotions. And so we really need to recognize that there are caregivers in the workplace. And in addition to the employers needing to support them through benefits and the like, I think we as colleagues need to encourage people to speak up. People don't always want to self-identify as a caregiver, sort of raise their hand and say, hey, I'm distracted because I'm caring for my mom. So it's important that we um, stay attuned to that and encourage one another to speak out when they when they need help. And, and similarly, I think uh, health insurers need to support caregivers so that um, not only the caregivers can be healthy, um, not ignore their own health um, situation because they're caring for somebody else, but also so that they can really be invited into that circle of care for, for their loved one. And, um, you know, it's, it's the caregiver who makes sure that mom is going to the doctor or taking her medications or doing her physical therapy. So, you know, health insurers and frankly, society at large has a real interest in truly inviting the caregivers into that circle of care, making them part of it and helping them help improve the health outcomes of, of the people that they're caring for. I, I also think there's a real role for government. Government needs to simplify the process of accessing benefits that already exist. You know, it's really complicated to try to find out. My dad was a, was a vet. To try to navigate what kind of benefits he might have through the VA was really tough. There are programs um, in various states to help caregivers get paid for being a family caregiver. It's really complex. Uh, it can be really quite difficult to navigate all of that. So we need to simplify things. And uh, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, we need to just continue to provide more flexibility to health plans and other players in the healthcare world to, to, support, to support caregivers. I agree. And simplifying and then also, again, taking the stigma away so people will self-identify a little bit more. You know, it's it it kind of goes in that role of how do we handle as a as a society mental health and and the things that may be out there that we can access to make our lives better. But it's where and how do we get started? If we all realize at some point in our lives we will either be a caregiver or we will be taken care of, then 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 we're all on the same page. We're all in it together. And then from there, we can go further. And if it is a lot simpler, yeah, state by state, everything different, every different job different. Um, thank goodness that a service like yours is available to employers. So it is it is definitely a benefit because it helps everybody out in the long run. And just the mere fact, if we haven't learned anything in the last years, that we're not alone. And all these Stories are unique, but our experiences are very shared and yeah. it's important. Yeah, I, I could not agree with that more. So our team of, of caregiving experts, we call them care advocates, they talk to caregivers all the time who reach out, maybe not, maybe they start a conversation saying, I, I'm not sure if you can help me or I don't even really know why I'm calling. And 
they really just, as a starting point, need to talk to somebody. They just need to be heard, talk to somebody who understands what it's like to be a caregiver. And often those phone calls end with something like, you know, this is the first time I've had peace of mind in a long time, or I feel less alone now, or now I feel like I can sort of move on and, you know, take the next step. So I couldn't agree more that we need to um, listen, listen to, to caregivers, hear their stories, give them a sympathetic ear. And that is the first step in um, helping really empower them to, um, to be the best caregivers they can be. Ah, we'll have to come back on because this is just scratching the surface and then we can talk about other things that are going on in the world because it's such an important topic and it does affect absolutely everybody, every, every human, this is will yeah. affect you in some point in your life. Um, just like we were all given books as parents, like what to expect when you're expecting. It's just like, this is your manual for living and how to live well. And, and these are things that we can do and how we can support each other. So in keeping in mind of the theme of my podcast. Tell me yeah. something that's phenomenal for you personally right now. Oh, goodness. Uh, so many things. I would say the advent of spring and being half vaccinated is completely phenomenal right now. Um, I would say that as part of that, as things open up and we all start to feel more confident and safe to engage with one another again, it really opens up an opportunity for some unfinished work of, for my caregiving, which is to have a memorial gathering for my mom. We always felt like that was going to be part of the process. My mom was all about relationships. She had a fascinating life and uh, we just cannot wait to plan a party where we can celebrate her life. Um, she, you know, she was a young working woman in the fifties. She wrote ad copy for Walgreens and stories about being a working woman in the 1950s and just so many other stories. Um, we'd love to tell. She had a fascinating life. And I feel like although both of my parents have now passed that I'm always going to be a caregiver and um, there's a book, that, uh, a caregiving book that was written a couple years ago called The Soul of Care. Um, and, and the author said something like, care doesn't end with death, but involves actively caring for memories. And I, I couldn't agree with that more. And so it's phenomenal to me to think about planning a party for my amazing mom. How wonderful that it, all these great things that you're going to be able to share, celebrate, and remember, and, and just the mere fact when we can all celebrate those days when we're together with our extended family and friends again, yeah. it's, it's, it's exciting. And, you know, soon to be on that vaccination train with you, it's scheduled this week and um, can't wait to see more of us get there so that we can gather safely and, um, and share more of this great life that we're given. So I would like to ask you to uh, end the, the recording today with giving us how we can find out more, where they can connect with you, and if they have any questions. Wonderful. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Hillary Ebach. That's Hillary with two L's, E-B-A-C-H. 
And uh, you can find Carowell on LinkedIn as well. And our website is www.carowell.com. I'll be sure to put um, links in the show notes so people can just click and go. And again, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for listening to your personal call and to joining forces with your family to um, make lives better for the rest of us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you. Be sure to subscribe now as well as follow along at Speaking of Phenomenal on Instagram and 52phenomenalwomen.com. That's the number 52phenomenalwomen.com. See you soon.